Blog Talk Radio. All right, well, let's take the songbook and stand together. Set the numbers in the wrong place. All right, let's turn to number 499. 499. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontide and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. Bringing in the sheep, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, hearing neither clouds nor winter chilling breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Going forth with weeping, going for the master, though the law sustained our spirit often breeds. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. All right, I want you to turn around and shake somebody's hand this morning, and we'll tell them you're glad they came to church. Somebody to pray for. Well, Miss Charlotte, yes. 
All right. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Really? That's the lady we've mentioned here recently. She's she's part of our extended family. She's up in Arkansas. She had the double lung transplant. And that's like she's saying. She's back. I didn't know she was back in ICU. But, yeah, she's having a lot. Don't know. Don't know, but pray for her. Pray for her. Um, yes. Miss Charlotte? Yes, ma'am, I will. Pray for Faith and Arlie. Y'all remember to pray for Jackie Thompson? She's got, she's got uh, COVID, and, uh, and the rest of the family is at home this morning. Of course, they were tuned in listening to Sunday school with us, but uh, and they'll be watching this on here. But pray for them. They're all quarantining while she's got COVID, so pray that she'll get over it this week, be back with us next week, and everything will be all right. Anybody else? We need to lift up my, my dad-in-law. Pray for him. He's continued healing his knee. Um, who else? Pray for Miss Joanne. She gets feeling better. And pray for Phyllis. I know she just wore a slap out, but pray for her as well. All right. If nothing else, let's go to the Lord's Prayer and ask God to meet with us this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Perfect submission, 
Let's read First Thessalonians. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and uh, then we're going to pray. So let's read that. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our God, I'm sorry, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you this morning. Lord, I need you. Lord, I cry out to you this morning, and I ask you, Lord, put your hand upon me, empower me. Lord, I pray you'd use me for your honor and glory. I know that it's nothing, nothing of me, Lord. I don't, I don't deserve any credit or anything, Lord. It's all you. So I pray this morning, I, I surrender myself to you the best I know how. I put myself on your altar, in your hand. And, Father, I ask you, put your hand on me and use me for your glory. Magnify the Lord Jesus Christ this morning through me. Holy Ghost of God, use me. Speak through me. Fill me up and pour me out for Christ's sake. And, Lord, I pray folks would be edified. I pray, Lord, uh, folks that would be helped this morning. Please, Lord, we put it in your hands and we ask for your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, I told you to turn to Acts chapter 17. So flip over there. And we're going to read. Again, let, before we do that, let's go to the map. Okay? Paul is writing to the church. That's right here. Okay? When Paul, is, when Paul and Silas left off on their journey from Antioch, and i got to get over here to find Antioch. Here's Antioch up there. Paul and Silas were in Antioch before they left out. This is the second missionary journey of Paul. You remember who he went with on the first one? Anybody? Who went with Paul on his first missionary journey? Anybody remember? Come on, somebody tell me. No? Starts with a B. Help me, somebody. Come on, y'all. Barnabas. Barnabas. John Mark also went with him. Remember what happened with John Mark? Okay, and that made Paul angry. Okay, this is Barnabas' sister's son, and and he's like, hey, you know, if your nephew can't do right, I don't want him with you. You know, he, he was done with him because he's like, look, I didn't get in this ministry to quit. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, nothing aggravates somebody in the ministry any more than to see somebody who was on fire for God in the ministry and say, you know what, I'm tired of this, and I'm walking away. So it aggravated Paul to no end. And so when, whenever they came back and get ready to go on their second one, Barnabas said, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Paul said, I ain't taking that loser with me. He quit. He's a quitter. I'm not taking him. I'm not going to get out there and need him and him, him take off and leave us. No way. No how. And, and, and so him and Barnabas got into a, 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 an altercation, not a physical altercation, but a verbal altercation. 
they got mad at one another, and I don't think they were cursing one another, but they were definitely arguing. They were disputing. You know, he's saying, hey, you know, we ought to take him. We'll give him another chance. He's like, ain't no way I'm taking that with me. They were just back and forth, and it got so heated that Barnabas said, fine, I'm just going to go without you. Or maybe Paul said, you just go on without me. I don't know how it took place. But one way or the other, they split up. And so Paul, he took another fellow with him. And we see him here in the beginning of this chapter. And his name was Silas. Uh, we saw him in, the cha- in first chapter 1 of, of, of 1 Thessalonians. So let's look in, in, in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, and when Paul and Silas made their way on their missionary journey, they got out of here. Where we have this time the city right here of Thessalonica. Okay? This is the first... This is the first time the gospel ever went to Europe. I want you to understand. This is this is what we call Europe. And this is what they called Asia at the time. And and this is Europe. So there the gospel went to Europe for the very first time right here in Thessalonica. All right, that's when Paul got the vision and said, Come on over and help us in Macedonia. So they went over. That was right after Macedonia. So, Acts chapter seventeen, verses one through ten. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three days, three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So for three weeks, for three weeks, I want you to understand something. Some people think, well, you're, sometimes you get hard when you preach. Sometimes you're a preacher or something. I've had people tell me that. Sometimes you're harsh. You're a little mean sometimes. Let me tell you what Paul did. Paul went into a synagogue which is full of Jews who don't believe on Christ at all. And Paul went in there, and when the time came, he stood up and said, hey, I'm going to show you where you're wrong. Can you imagine if we went down to the, to the, to the Methodist church this morning? Or we went down to the Catholic Church this morning. We went down to some other group that, that's got some error in their doctrine, and I stood up in the middle of it and said, "Hi, we'll show you where you're wrong right here." They'll say, "Y'all, you're a lunatic, man." That's what Paul did. Was he wrong? I'm not saying that's what I'm going to go do. I'm not saying I'm fixing to start doing that. Listen, I know better. I'd end up in jail if I start doing that. I know that, and and I'd make a lot of people mad and alienate a lot of people. I'm not saying that's how I'm supposed to go do it, but I'm telling you that's what Paul was doing. That's what he did everywhere. That's why he got that's why he got thrown out. You say, well, why would he do that? He was that passionate that he wanted to get saved. He wanted he knew that was the only that was the only interest is to take the scriptures and show them. So he was doing that and he did that for three weeks. I mean, ever can you imagine? I mean the first Sabbath, I'm sure they were like, Who's this guy? But the second Sabbath they're like, Oh gosh, here he comes again. We're gonna have to put up with that again. Three weeks he did that. And all he wants to do is see him trust Christ and get saved and have everlasting life. That's all he wants. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. There's nothing more than I'm doing with you this morning. He, he showed them things from the Scriptures. It says opening and alleging. In other words, opening up the knowledge, showing them and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Again, he's just trying to show the Jews their Messiah. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the de- devout Greeks a great multitude. So some of the Jews and, and, and a bunch of the, of the Greeks and of the chief woman, not a few, so a, bu- a bunch of the women too, of, of the Gentiles. But the Jews which believed, I mean, it was great. I mean, so they got a bunch of believers all of a sudden. 
okay? Because he preached three weeks in there. He's got a, he's got a group of believers, and then some of these Jews, the ones who didn't believe his message, they didn't like that. Well, he's going to come in here and split our synagogue. He's come in here and split our synagogue. He's took a bunch of people out here. He's destroying our synagogue. He's going to break, he's going to break our religion in half. So they were moved with the envy. They were jealous that he did that. And they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. So they went around and they found all the, all of the criminals that they could scrape up, all the guys they could say, hey, I'll give you so much money, will you break somebody's head open? Sure, I'll do it, no problem. So they went and got some of those kind of guys, and they gathered a company, and they set all the city on, you know, kind of like they do with this Antifa business, uh, and the Black Lives Matter moment, they go in and they just absolutely destroy a city. You've seen them do that. They did that to Minneapolis. They did that, where else? They did that in uh, Oregon. I mean, just absolutely destroyed cities, destroyed private private businesses. And, and most of the time, they were minority-owned businesses that destroyed it, which is absolutely insane because they destroyed their own neighborhoods. But, but what I'm trying to say is the very same kind of things that were going on in our country, that's the kind of things these Jews started up there in Thessalonica. Okay? Well, guess what? you got a bunch of brand-new believers. Now, these people were pagans just days before. These, these Greeks, they were all pagans. They were worshiping, and we'll get into those gods next week. We'll talk about them next week. But, but these people are all pagans, and they just got saved. Okay? And all of a sudden, now you got a bunch of Jews that are causing problems and, and making their life miserable, and, I, and that's not all. <laughs> they assaulted the house of Jason. So you got a great big mob running through the city, mad and angry because uh, he's bringing down their religion. He's changing everything. Pretty soon, everybody don't even know why they're rioting. They're just rioting for rioting's sake. And, and the Bible said they sought to bring them out to the people. So again, we're in a we're in a we're not in a Jewish community. Are we? Here's 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 Israel. We are up here in Thessalonica. We are in Gentile land. Okay, there are only a small group of Jews. Most of the people there are Gentiles, or most of them all are pagans. And when I say pagans, I mean idol worshippers. I mean they don't they don't believe in God. They don't they know they know the they know the myths and mystical stuff. They know the rumors of what the Jews believe, but they don't know God. Uh, so again, verse six. And when they found them not, they drew Jason. They drew Jason and certain of the brethren under the rulers of the city. And here's what they said to the rulers of the city. These, these are Gentiles they're talking to. They said, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These people that have, everywhere they've gone, they've just turned the world upside down. That's a, power, that's a testimony to the power of the gospel right there. Listen, if this, if this stuff I preached didn't mean anything, and if it didn't do anything, who would worry about it? But it's powerful. And it's life changing, and it, it, it'll it'll change it's, it's cha- it'll change a continent. It has changed continents. This is powerful stuff, and it turned their world upside down because they were comfortable in their little idolatrous world that they were living in. And, they, and you know, the Jews kept to themselves, the Gentiles kept to themselves. Everybody was pretty much fine. And Paul showed up, and the whole world turned upside down. Everybody's mad. And the Bible said that they, they come hither, and who, who Jason, who was a band there in Thessalonica. And he had received, once he got saved, he said, well, hey, why don't you come and meet in my home? So they began holding church services in the home of a guy named Jason. And they, they were telling these Greek rulers, they were saying, Jason, this man received these men, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Hold up. How are these all doing contrary to the decrees? Well, here's what we're going to tell you. 
saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and all the rulers of the city when they heard these things. They didn't know who Jesus was. King Jesus, he's going to come in here and take over our land? This king they're talking about that they serve? And they troubled them. Like I said, they troubled them. And when they had taken, they took, they got him under, they, got, they detained Jason. They took security of Jason. And of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, so they left here. And we'll talk about Berea another time. But understand, he just came into town. He went like he always did to the Jews. He made them angry, and he won a bunch of Gentiles to the Lord and started and said, you know what? Okay, I'm done with the Jews. I'm going over here with the Gentiles. People got saved, and we're doing our thing now. Well, the Jews said, well, we're not. That ain't all. You, you come in here and tear up everything. We're fixing to have some revenge. So they sought to destroy the work that Paul was trying to do in that church. So persecution, right off the bat, imagine this. Can you imagine if every time we have services here, people were pulling up and coming in here and trying to break up our services? They were shouting at us and cursing us and accusing us of everything under the sun. And every, you'd go to work or you'd go home. They'd come to your home. They'd try to, they'd try to stand in front of your house like they're doing the Supreme Court justice and shouting at your house and everything like that. Listen, people, people were going nuts. They were losing their minds. They were trying to shut this thing down. <clears throat> I mean, I try to imagine what it must have been like for these believers. They must have been shocked. You said we would have peace. And I don't think, man, what the hell it, it must have been chaos. And again, they were, they were accusing them of having another key. And understand that Rome had no law against Christianity at this time. It was brand new. There was no laws against it. But Rome was very jealous of any that claimed authority under Caesar. They, they, Rome was in control. They, they, would, they, would, they would grant some control, but only if they were in control of your control. So when somebody jumped up and said, hey, there's a king there, they, they were, they were going to put that down immediately. They, were, they wanted to know what this was all about. And, I, you know, I, I remember, and I turned to John 18, where Jesus stood before Pilate, who was Roman. And this is what, this is what the conversation was like, John 18, 33 and 37. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you, are you the king? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? So I tell you this, or did you come up with this on your own? Then Pilate answered, Am I Jew? Thine own nation and thy chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered of the Jews to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that heareth that every everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So he is a king. Amen. He is my king. Amen. Is he a physical king in this world right now? No. He will be someday. 
Amen. When he comes back, amen, and we come back with him, he will be established as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years, and Satan will be thrown in the bottom of his pit, and there will be peace on earth, amen, the peace on earth that the angels were talking about when, they, when Jesus came the first time. That's when we'll see peace on earth. But is he a physical king right now, ruling over a physical kingdom? No. And that's not what Paul was talking about, and that's not, that's not who they were calling him, a physical king over a physical kingdom. They were talking about him having a spiritual kingdom and them being subject to him as their king. Now, let's get into our, let's get into our text. i got 20 minutes. I'm going to try to preach this real quick to you. Third <clears throat> Thessalonians, chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. <clears throat> now, Silvanus... I know they call him Silvanus here, but that's Silas. That's just another way of saying Silas. And he, he had been a long, experienced companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on his, again, like this is his second missionary journey. He was in prison with Paul right before this in Philippi, in the Philippian jail, when the earthquake happened, set free with Paul. And then he came to Thessalonica with Paul, and so they got to know him real well. And then Timothy, or Timotheus, as the Bible calls him there, he was a resident of Lystra, which is back over where I see. Where is Lystra? It's not that important, but it's right over here somewhere. Lystra right here. All right, you remember Lystra, that's where Paul was stoned. All right? So Timothy was from there, and Paul, he, was, he saw Paul right after he got stoned, and then he saw him on his trip back through. Um, but he was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother named Eunice. He learned the scriptures from his mother and his grandmother. The Bible tells us that. And Timothy was a trusted companion and associate of Paul, and he accompanied Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys. And then Paul, which we'll find out when we get to chapter 3 of this book, but Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica after they had been thrown out of there. He had sent him back to see how they were doing, to check on them. And that's in chapter 3, verse 2. We'll see that later. But he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy under the church of, of the Thessal- Thessalonians, which is in... God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not going to rush through this. I want you to understand. I'm not rushing through First Thessalonians. I'm going to go at a snail's pace because here's why. Acts is an overview of all that they're doing, okay? And we see that kind of like through a telescope, watching them through many years, down through time. But when we get to the books of the epistles that Paul wrote, this is doctrine. This is teaching. This stuff is crucial. We need to hang on every word. Amen? <clears throat> so he says, unto the church of the Thessalonians. And, you know, and, and, I'm, and the reason I'm going so slow with this is because there's so many things that people misunderstand. Churches are people. And I know you all know this, but, again, there are people listening on this device and listening on this device who have no idea what I'm talking about. When I say, uh, come visit our church, they might come down here to this building. They, they think this building is our church. We'll drive by and look at y'all's church. You can't drive by except on Wednesdays and Sundays and see my church. Amen? It ain't my church anyway. It's the Lord's church. But this is just a building. We can meet under that shade tree over there and have it be the same church. You could burn this thing to the ground. And still, we could sit on the slab or sit on the dirt where, the, where there ain't no slab. Sit on the dirt and have church. So the building is not the church. And, and, and the people need to know that. It's not a building. It's a body. Amen? The Greek word is ecclesia. 
It means a called out assembly. What does it mean called out? It means we've been called out by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been we've been called by the Holy Spirit of God to come to the cross of Calvary and receive salvation. And now we're all have the same salvation, and we're all part of His body. Again, it's a body. First Corinthians one thirty says, "But of Him, of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness." and sanctification and redemption. Now, let's get that. Amen? God made us. He, he put a, placed us in Christ Jesus. We're a part of the body of Christ. We are, made, we are made a part of the body of Christ, and Christ is made unto us wisdom. You and I don't have any idea how to make it through life. We've made a mess of our life, and you know you have, and you know I have. Amen? Because I've told you so. We don't know how to do anything without God. Amen. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. He is wisdom. And we don't understand anything without, without Christ. Amen. People living in this world without God, they're just lost and, and chasing their tail. They have no idea what they're doing. The Bible says he's made unto us wisdom and righteousness. Again, we have no righteousness of our own. Jesus is our righteousness. When God looks down at us, he doesn't see us clean and all shiny. He sees Jesus because he is our righteousness. His righteousness is given to us, imputed is the word, which means placed over us. We're covered, surrounded, encapsulated in his righteousness. God can't see any in us. He sees filth in us if he sees us. So we're, co- we're covered in the blood, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he's made unto us sanctification, which means, listen, sanctification means separated. It means holy. It's separated from the common stuff over here separate away from everything to be used solely for God. And God is drawing us, Christ is drawing us away from the world and to God where he can use us. He's our sanctification and he is our redemption. He's all the payment we needed. There's nothing more. <clears throat> Under the church, amen. But now, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He, the blood brought us into the body of Christ, the body being the body of believers. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Saints. I, mean, saints, I don't care what the Catholic Church likes to say. Saints are not dead people. I mean, there are saints in glory, but, but we're saints. If you're saved, you're a saint. Don't call me St. Brandon. I don't want to be called St. Brandon. But, but we're saints. God said so. I didn't say so. God, well, I did say so, but God said it first, so that's why I said it. Amen? We are saints. Just, you know, again, it doesn't, it doesn't take somebody that's an apostle to be a saint. Every saved person is a saint. Amen? People, when somebody says to you, I ain't no saint, we say, yeah, if you're saved, you are. Correct them. Amen? Because God said so. Amen? Uh, John 14.10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, Jesus said? I am in the Father. And the Father in me. Yeah. See, I, don't, I can't understand that. That's okay. You can see it by the eye of faith. Amen. You may not be able to see it with your eyeballs, but you can see it with the eye of faith. Amen. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father in me. The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father dwelleth in me, and he doeth the works. Right here. How many of y'all saved this morning? Okay. You're saved. You're in Christ. Right? 
Right? That means we're, we're saved. He's, he is our salvation, okay? When, when Noah and his family and all the animals, they got on the ark, God shut the door. They were saved by the ark. They were saved in the safety of the ark. You and I are saved because we are in Christ. He is, he is like the ark, amen? He is the ark for us to save us from the sin of this world. All right? Christ is in God the Father, okay? And we are in Christ in the Father, and the Holy Ghost lives in us. Can you not see how you're a part of the Trinity? You're caught up in the Trinity, and you can't do nothing about it? Amen? You're swirling around in the middle of all that Trinity. Amen? Hallelujah. John 10, 28-30. Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than I, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Again, there's Christ and the Father, Father and Christ, and I'm in his hand. And can't nobody pluck me out. And the devil can't get me either. And I can't jump out because it ain't a diving board. It's a hand. Amen. He's got me, caught me, grabbed me, holding me, saved me. Verse 2. Look at verse 2. I told you we wasn't going fast. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, Paul said. This this book starts with a prayer of thanksgiving. There's a prayer of thanksgiving in the middle, and then there's, I mean, a prayer of thanksgiving in the first, and then there's a prayer in the middle, and then there's a prayer at the end. And this book's really divided into two sections, and, and we're going we're gonna to look, we're looking at part of the first one this morning. Uh, he said, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. First Timothy 2, 1, he said this when he wrote to Timothy. He said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, which is asking for su- supplies. That's what supplications means. Y'all know that? Things that you need. You're asking for supplies. Supplications. Amen. So first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's four kinds of prayers there. Look at that. Think on this. Supplications, you're praying for other people that God would meet their needs. All right, prayers, that's just simply asking for things. It's just asking God, Lord, do this, do that. Intercession is praying on behalf of somebody else for their need. Uh, and, and then giving the thanks is thanking God for them. So that's four different kinds of prayers God asks us to pray for them. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. That means we ought not lay off from praying for people. Amen. I'll tell you right now, I pray for you at least twice a day. I, I try to pray for you at least twice a day. I try to make sure I do it twice a day. And and I and I I'm sure there's some days I might make it down to one, but I try to pray for you at least once every single day. And I hope you pray for me. I I, I ask you to if you don't. I, please pray for me at least once a day. We ought to continually pray. Uh look at verse three. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our fa- and our Father. Let me say something to you now. This, 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 this group of believers, their faith was real. It was real. Again, they were, they were pagans who had just come out of that whole life of paganism. They knew nothing more than worshiping idols. And going to pagan temples and, and serving pagan gods, little statues and things. And, and, and they, their lives were lives of pleasure. They weren't worried about sin. They indulged in whatever pleasures that they feel like indulging in. Because, again, they had no con- 
they had no idea. They had no no concept of, of, of God and their sin. So they came from that, and immediately their lives have changed, and immediately they faced persecution. Their faith was a real faith. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 3, 6. This is where Paul sent Timothy back to check on them. The Bible says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us and also to see you. Again, Paul said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. See there, he said he brought good tidings of your faith and your labor of love. And he said, in charity, that's the love of Christ, the working because of the love of Christ. And, and see, you have good remembrance, desiring greatly to see us. They hope to see Paul. They, they not only have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they hope to see Paul again. And he said, we also to see you. Their faith was strong in the face of persecution. And I realize we are not really in persecution in America, not yet. But it is threatening. It is definitely threatening. <clears throat> and I just hope and pray that if it comes to our doorstep, that we will be faithful to God in the face of persecution even if it means the loss of freedoms, the loss of liberties, and even the loss of our lives, I would hope and pray that we would gladly lay down whatever we had to for our Lord Jesus Christ and that we wouldn't turn and just say, oh, I'll go along with whatever you want. Don't hurt me. Listen, they can't do a thing to you and take away your salvation. They can't take away a thing that God has given you. The things that I have that are precious to me, I don't carry, I don't carry on the outside. Like I said, their faith was real. Their faith was strong in the face of persecution. Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, in Jesus, it doesn't make any difference if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't make any difference. But faith worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. What does that mean? So I'm saying, well, there will be some love in your life for lost sinners. There ought to be some love in your life for those who don't understand. There ought to be some love in your life for those who are hurting themselves and hurting others. There ought to be some love in you somewhere if you're saved. Love, again, I echo in Sunday school, but love has to be our motivating factor in whatever we do in this Christian life. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. So he's saying consistent, constant, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, don't give up on God. Don't quit because things get difficult. Stay the course. Stay with it. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, you're not working for nothing. You're not doing this for nothing. You say, well, I'm not seeing any reap. I'm not reaping any reward for it. Well, that's not here. This is not where you reap it here. You may never see it here. There's some, I agree there's some preachers that preach their whole life, and they never see more than a people get saved. And they get to heaven, and they'll find out there's a lot more people they contacted than they really realized. There are missionaries who labored their entire lives on the mission field and did not see the fruit of their labor. But yet, once they passed on and, and someone else come in their work, they would just it abounded. And you think God ain't going to honor the time they labored there and didn't see no fruit? God's going to honor them for the fruit that came after. He'll honor their faithfulness, and that's what God was doing with honoring these. Young believers. I mean, can you imagine? They're, 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 
out of nowhere in the middle of in the middle of an absolute wasteland. Here uh, is life in Christ that established and begins to bloom and grow like a flower blooming in the desert. And everything in the world, and the worst storms and winds and everything begin to blow on it, and it just blooms stronger. That's what was happening in this church. You've got to understand, they, they, were, they were going through intense persecution, but they were flourishing under that persecution. And like I said, we're to do everything out of love, and we're to do it for Christ, and, and don't care if anybody notices. Don't worry about if anybody sees what you're doing for Jesus. As a matter of fact, you'd be better off if nobody saw what you did for Jesus. John fifteen ten. if you keep my commandments, Jesus said, you shall abide in my love. That's where I want to be. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I want to be in the love of God, don't you? Amen. I want God to be pleased with me, and God, I want to feel God's love in my life every day. Galatians five thirteen. He says, "For brethren, you have been called out unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another." That's how we're to do it. We're to do. We're to serve one another. We're to be good to other people. We're to treat other people with kindness and love. Why? Out of love, not because we feel like we got to do it. There is no more miserable person, and I'm going to say this because I. I have more than I could count. People just like them. They were serving God because I said so. They were doing what I said because I said so. And you know what? They looked at me like I was a dictator and God was a tyrant. And they were bitter. You know why? There was no love in what they were doing. There was no love in what they were doing. They were only doing it because they they, they wanted they, they wanted somebody to notice them in the church. They wanted to get some credit. They wanted a pat on the back. And I'm not saying everybody pastors that way, but I'm saying there was a handful, and they made life miserable for everybody else because they were miserable. Can I tell you, when you ain't doing it, when love ain't your motivating factor, it's miserable to serve God because you're doing it in your flesh, and you can't do it that way. You'll be a failure the whole way. <clears throat> but boy, when God's wind in your sails, whoo, you can go. God will do it with you. I'm telling you right now, God will use you if he's the wind in your sails. I gotta hurry. I'm almost done. We're to be patient in waiting for the Lord. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. They were patient. Again, he talked about their work of faith. He talked about their labor of love, and he talked about they were, they were patient in hope. So they're patiently waiting for the Lord. He said, "Now God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the of the Holy Ghost." God, God wants to fill our lives with joy. He wants to give us peace because we're saved and we know our, our home in heaven is settled and we know the devil can't do a thing about it. And so from now that there's that peace of God that's washed into our lives, we should abound in hope. I'm listening, we, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Now we should grow and, 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 and gain God's blessing and favor and abound in hope and looking for Christ to come. Amen. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, that's how I see. That's how I have my hope. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God tells me, reminds me over and over, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Stay faithful. He's coming. Don't give up. Don't get tired. He's coming. Just put your eyes on Jesus. He's coming. Romans 5, 1 through 6, Therefore being justified by faith, because I believe on Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by that faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
And not only and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Again, they're going through troubles. Paul's telling them, and this is he covering the, the church of Rome, but he's saying the very same thing. He said, We glory in tribulations, these trials, these troubles that come into our life, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. When we go through a trial, we go through something difficult in life. <clears throat> and instead of falling apart, instead of thinking it's the end, we like that in there, we get on our knees, we cry out to God, we put our hope in Him, and we say, Lord, I'm not going to fall apart, I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and Lord, you keep me through this, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to tell you something. You, 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 talk about, you talk about something good. You talk about something good. When God puts you together and holds you together, you know what that does in your life? In those tribulations, it makes you say, you know what? I can, I can, I can keep going. God is just mean. I have peace in my heart. I didn't have it before. Well, I got down on my knees. I didn't have peace in my heart. So I got up on my knees, and I got peace. I'm going to be all right. Amen? Listen, are you hearing me? Have you been through what I'm talking about? Has anybody here, can anybody here say amen? I've been through that. I know. I know you're right, preacher. Amen. You know, it's good to say amen. I know there's a lot of ladies in here. Y'all say amen, too. It ain't going to hurt nothing. Amen. That ain't, that ain't talking down to preacher. That's just saying I agree with you, preacher. Well, what does it do? Tribulation works patience. You say, I know God can handle it, so I'm not going to freak out next time. And patience, experience. So I've done gone through it. And experience brings hope. Next time we hit, we're not going to panic. We made it last time. We'll make it this time. Hope. 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 God hasn't dropped me yet. He's not going to drop me. Amen. He didn't. I say this all the time. God did not bring me this far to leave me. Amen. I've been through some stuff, folks. But I'm going to tell you right now, everything I've gone through, I said the same thing. God didn't bring me this far to leave me. The grace of God is it will never lead you where it is unable to keep you. I mean, I said that wrong. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God is unable to keep you. Amen. And he said, hope maketh not ashamed. When we have hope that God is in control, we're not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God's love is just flooding our souls because we know God's in control and he's got this. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You talk about a, a weak position. We were dead in our sins. How helpless were we there? And Christ died for us and came to us. So there's never going to be a situation we're going to be in where we're helpless. We have the hope that God is our, our Savior and that he will never let us down. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to get through it. I promise. I'm almost there. The last two verses. And they're quick. <clears throat> Number four. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Don't let that word election scare you. That's not a Calvinist word, even though the hyper-Calvinists seized on it and try to beat the drum and make that their big word. But Paul's simply saying this. He said, it's clear to me that you've been born again, and it's real. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, I can look at you and tell. I, I can I can listen to the things that have happened in your life, and I know that it's real. Amen? I know. And, and elect means this. We know about the foreknowledge of God, that God's eternal, and God's outside of the realm of time and scope. He made time. He made his creation. He, he, he can reach in it, but he ain't. He's not a part of it. You can't go to that tree and say, that tree's God. That cloud's God. No, that's his creation. Okay, he made it. He reaches in. He dwells inside of it when he wants to, how he wants to, but he's not limited by it. 
Okay? What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say, since it's all his creation, I've, I've showed you this before. I've, I've said it often. It's like everything, and I hope that I'm going to go and never make it. You can say this often. God reaches in and deals with man, and God does what he does with man, and God does man about his creation. And God sees and making people reject Christ and go to hell. But God already knows because he's God. And so when Paul's saying, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, he's just saying, I know you're one of those that, that's fine. You're part of those. And I know that because of the fruit that's in your life. Because you have, you have, a, a, you have a, a, a work of faith in your life that, that faith is producing something. It's producing a love for Jesus, and that love for Jesus is producing works. We don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. We serve because we're servants. Amen? And that service should be out, out of love, and that, that service and working for God in that faith produces hope that Christ is coming, and it will all be worth it someday. And Paul had preached that to them when he was there. And they knew that, and they seized upon that. And the Holy Ghost of God was, was uh, cultivating that in their life, and it was producing fruit, and people were being saved, and the church was growing. And Timothy came back with a powerful report. And I close with verse 5, and we're almost done with it. He said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. We didn't just show up and just tell you. He said, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. You see, it wasn't just me reading you the Bible. It wasn't just me preaching. It was the Holy Ghost of God working in power in your life. And he said, in much assurance, because Paul had been gone, and they left under bad circumstances. And it didn't make any difference, the, the circumstances on the outside with the Greeks and the Jews and everything else. Because, listen, ain't nothing on the outside can touch what God did on the inside. Let come what may, nothing can take away what God has done. <clears throat> and they said in much, in much assurance, they were assured of what he had told them, and they were assured of what they had. And he said, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. <clears throat> I want you to think about that thought before we, as we close here. Paul said, you know, when we came down there to you, we brought you the Word of God. And we not only brought the Word of God, we brought the power of God. And we, and we delivered that to you. But it wasn't enough that we delivered that to you. We risked our own lives for you. We didn't have to come here to do this. Realize that. Look how Paul, look how far Paul came. He came from Antioch. All the way over here to Thessalonica. It's a long way. But he came for the purpose of seeing these people get saved. Most of us won't cross the street to do it. Most of us won't walk across the parking lot to do it. 
Most of us won't hand something across the aisle at a grocery store or across a gas pump. Paul went all the way across the continent, and they realized that he was dedicated, and he had something real in him. And they saw the scars that he bore. They were fresh from Lystra. He still had he still had scabs when he got there. He still had places that had not healed when he got there. He they, he said, "You saw what manner what manner of men we were among you. This is real." I'm going to tell you something, my friends. If what you have is real, it ought to be manifesting in your life. And if it's not, and you know it's real, and it's not manifesting in your life, you need to get a hold of God and find out what's going on because there's a, there's a problem. If it's not coming out, if God's in you and he's not coming out, then there's a problem, and you need to address that problem and say, God, fix me so that I can be what you want me to be so that I do something and make an impact in this life and so that I don't end up standing before you someday empty-handed and thinking I should have done more than I did. What did I do? I failed you. Don't, don't wind up there. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to make you think. I'm trying to make you examine yourselves whether you be in the faith as the Bible tells us because really and truly that's all that matters. Are we serving God the way we ought to? Does he want more from us? Is God speaking to you this morning? Is God trying to say to you this morning, come to me and I won't, mis- I won't mishandle you. Come to me. I won't, I won't take advantage of you and hurt you. I'll use you. I'll, I'll equip you. I- I'll make you fit. You may say, I'm not fit to do that. Well, God will make you fit. God doesn't call the fit. God fits the call. If God's speaking to you this morning, come to him and say, Lord, I'll be, I'll be, a, I'll be a witness for you. I- I'll, I'll be what you want me to be. Just please. Put your hand on me and use me. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to, we're going to sing here in just a moment. We'll have an invitation. We're going to sing 161 this morning. If you want to find that in your songbook. But we're going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to ask the Lord to speak to your heart. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to your heart.